Well, please look with me in the confessional reading, uh, or at the confessional reading element in your order of worship. Uh, again, as was the case a number of uh, in the last few weeks, we will not be having a, a scripture reading per se because our scripture reading is uh, contained in question 92 as we will be considering what the fourth commandment requires of us. So we'll be reading from the fourth commandment as the catechism itself quotes the fourth commandment. As always, I will read the question if you'd please respond by reciting the answer. So question 92 asks, what is God's law? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Question 103 asks, What is God's will for you in this fourth commandment? First, that the gospel ministry and schools for it be maintained, and that, especially on the festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to the Lord publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through his spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Amen. Well, boys and girls, what are the three sections of our catechism, and which section are we in? Yes, Annalise? And which section are we in? Very good, yes. Guilt, grace, gratitude. We have been in the last uh, number of weeks in the gratitude section of our catechism. And again, as a review from that grace section, remember faith is that central theme that we see running throughout the grace section. And so what is true faith, Annabelle? And what is the content of faith, Noel? The Apostles' Creed. What benefit do we receive when we profess this true faith? Yes, Isaiah. Christ's righteousness. Yes, we are justified, uh, which means our sins are forgiven and Christ imputes to us his righteousness. Where does this faith come from? Yes, Marcus? The preaching of God's word uh, through the Holy Spirit. Right? The Spirit is the one who creates this faith through the instrument of his word, which is one of the reasons why uh, worship is so important. Because what do we do in worship? We hear God's word read and preached to us. Uh, what does the Holy Spirit use to confirm our faith? The, uh, in addition, Noel? The sacraments, yes. And there are two sacraments, of course, Holy Baptism and Holy Supper. Last of all, what are the, the two keys of the kingdom? Annabelle? The preaching of the word and uh, church discipline. So Christ has given the church authority to exercise those two keys. Now, we have been in the uh, gratitude section for... Uh, as I said, a number of weeks now, and we learned, of course, that our chief motivation for responding to that gospel message is gratitude. We are called to obey uh, God's commandments out of a heart of gratitude, and those three elements of a good work are true faith, 
right? Those uh, good works need to proceed from a heart of true faith, conform to the law of God, and need to be done unto the glory of God. And so now we have been walking our way through the Ten Commandments as that uh, standard by which, uh, to which our good works are to conform to. And the last, um, uh, the last three weeks or so, we've been looking at um, the Third Commandment and the Second Commandment, and then about a month ago, the First Commandment. Now, boys and girls, uh, which commandment answers the who question, the who of worship? Yes, Marcus? The first commandment, yes. Uh, how about the, the second commandment? What question does that answer? Isaiah? How? And the third commandment also, in part, answers the how question because it speaks to the language of worship. So the first commandment calls us to worship the one true God, so it answers the who question. Uh, the second commandment tells us to worship God only as he has told us in his word. And the third commandment tells us to speak reverently of the name of God in worship. Now, the fourth commandment, what, what question do you think the fourth commandment is answering? Noel? When, yes, when. So the first four commandments, I, I've, I've said this in the past, the first four, four commandments speak Yes, in one sense to all of life, but there's a, a primary emphasis to worship. And so if we take the first table of God's law seriously, we should take worship seriously. We should take um, being a part of a local church seriously. So today we're going to spend our time considering this fourth commandment. What does God require of us in this fourth commandment? Now the Synod of Dort, which met in the fall of 1618 through the spring of 1619, it was the only international reform synod to have ever met. There were delegates all across Europe. And at this synod, they responded to the Ar Arminian controversy by drafting the Canons of Dort, which serves as one of our confessional standards. It's where the so-called five points of Calvinism came from. At this synod, the, uh, the, the Dutch delegates also drafted a church order, which is largely the church order that we follow as United Reformed Churches. However, this synod also drafted a short statement of pastoral advice regarding the Sabbath. And this statement of pastoral advice is very helpful. And one thing that it notes is that the fourth commandment is part ceremonial and part moral. Now, uh, does anyone remember what, what is the threefold division of the Old Testament law? Ezekiel. Civil, ceremonial, yeah, civil, ceremonial, and moral. So when we come across these case laws in the Old Testament, those are examples of the civil law. Those laws governed the nation of Israel as a political nation. And Christ fulfilled and set aside those laws for us as New Covenant Christians. We also come across ceremonial or sacrificial laws. These are the laws that pertain to the temple or to the priesthood, um, uh, to, uh, uh, to the sacrifices themselves. These are laws that were applicable and binding upon the people of Israel in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, but Christ, of course, fulfilled these laws and set them aside um, for us in the New Covenant so that the civil laws and the ceremonial laws are no longer applicable or binding upon us as New Covenant Christians. However, there's a third category of law, and that third category is the moral law of God. And the Ten Commandments summarize the moral law of God, and 
Christ does fulfill the moral law of God, but he fulfills it in such a way that it's still applicable for us today. Thus, the moral law of God is that statement or exposition of the law of God that's binding upon all people in all times and places. And so when this, this, this statement of pastoral advice from the Synod of Dort says the fourth commandment is part ceremonial and part moral, it's saying that there's, there's aspects to the fourth commandment that do not apply to us. They're part of that ceremonial law that Christ fulfilled and set aside. And so what are those aspects of the fourth commandment that are ceremonial? Well, the statement says that the day of the week in which the old covenant people of God observed the, seventh, uh, observed the Sabbath day, that's ceremonial, the seventh day. When Christ comes, he changes the day of the week in which the people of God are to observe the Sabbath day, from the seventh day to the first day. So that's one way in which the fourth commandment is ceremonial, the day of the week. We don't celebrate the Sabbath on the seventh day. We celebrate it on the first day of the week, which is the Lord's day. Well, the second way in which the fourth commandment has a ceremonial aspect to it is, 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 the, um, is as we look at the Old Covenant Sabbath and we see the, the, the rigor of, of of, um, of the Sabbath. The, the, the people of Israel were, were to obey and observe this, this Sabbath in a very rigorous way. You can't pick up sticks. You can't start a fire. Um, and that, that rigidity, that rigor, is a part of the ceremonial aspect of the law, and Christ fulfilled that and set that aside. And so you might ask, well, what, what is moral about the fourth commandment? Meaning, what in the fourth commandment is part of God's moral law, which is still applicable for us today? Well, our catechism in question and answer 103 summarizes the moral aspect of the fourth commandment, meaning those aspects of the fourth commandment that still apply to us today. We shouldn't observe the fourth commandment with the same rigor as the people of Israel did in the Old Testament. We shouldn't observe it on the seventh day, but then how should we observe it? Well, we look to question and answer 103 because 103 summarizes and distills for us the moral aspect of the fourth commandment. And you'll notice that the... Uh, the Catechism lists four things that are required of us in this fourth commandment. And it's those four things that we're going to turn our attention to. So first you'll notice that the Catechism in question answer 103 calls us on this festive day of rest to diligently attend the assembly of God's people. What this means is that we're called to worship on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the Lord's Day, is a day of, of worship. This is the most important duty for the Christian Sabbath, for the Lord's Day. Now, according to question answer 103, what, are, what types of things are we supposed to do in worship? Keep it holy, yes. How do we keep it holy? Good. Good. Yeah. So we sanctify it. We keep it holy uh, by uh, worshiping through hearing the word, partake, uh, partake in the sacraments, giving gifts of gratitude or offerings for the poor, uh, by by praying, calling publicly upon the Lord. So we see the elements of word of the of the word, the sacraments, um, offerings, and prayer being a part of our worship service. 
Now, I mentioned this before, but we see in Luke chapter 24, we see how Jesus spends the first resurrection day or the first Lord's day. And he spends that first resurrection day by uh, preaching. He shows his disciples how he is the, 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 the main idea, the main point of the law, the prophets, and the writings, the entire Old Testament. We also see that Jesus breaks bread with his disciples and reveals his identity over this broken bread. The disciples seem to look to Jesus' example as being normative for how we should not only worship but spend the Lord's Day, which is why in the book of Acts you see the church routinely gathering on the first day of the week uh, to hear the word, uh, break bread, which is a synecdoche for the Lord's Supper, to enjoy the the fellowship community of, of the saints. And Acts chapter 242 sums up the worship of the early church well. As we read, and they, that is, the, that is to say the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So the church devoted themselves to the word, the apostles' teaching, uh, to the breaking of bread, the sacraments, uh, to the prayers and to fellowship. So we see the elements of word, sacraments, and prayer there in Acts chapter 242. In uh, 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says this. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also um, are you to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be um, no collecting when I come. So Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth as they gather on the first day of the week for worship, uh, to give gifts of offering or give gifts of gratitude in, in an offering for the saints in Jerusalem. And so we see that God has provided one day in seven for our spiritual nourishment and growth and grace, the Lord's Day. As we even thought a little bit about earlier this morning, the Lord's Day is a holiday uh, whereby we are called to remember the Lord's forgiveness. It's a time where we can Uh, cease from ordinary activity so that we can be intentional about celebrating our distinctively Christian identity. Now sometimes uh, we can think of worship as as sort of a a fueling up station, right? We get fueled up on Sundays so that we can go out and do ministry throughout the week. However, and there's a sense in which, you know, we, we do come to worship to be fed and nourished. But worship is, in a very real sense, an end in itself, The only thing that we're told that we will be doing in heaven is corporate worship. And so when we're worshiping, we're doing what we were created to do. It's not merely a means to some greater end. It is an end in itself. We were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so when we worship, we're doing what God created us to do. And we're having a foretaste of our future inheritance in the new creation. And so when we think about how we should spend our Sundays our Christian Sabbaths, we should prioritize corporate worship, the gathering together of God's people. You'll notice a second thing that we're, that's required of, required of us here in question, question and answer 103, and, and, this, and this requirement may seem a bit odd to us. Notice that it says, first, that the gospel ministry and schools for it be maintained. You might think, why would the catechism start with that, the gospel ministry in schools be, be maintained. Well, the fourth commandment here, according to the catechism, calls us to support the gospel ministry. 
Now, Paul, on a number of occasions, says that the church should, in an ideal situation, support ministers of the gospel financially. But notice that the Catechism also references schools. We support schools. Now, this isn't a reference to Christian day schools. Notice how it, it's, it says that we should support schools that train gospel ministers. So this is really a reference to seminaries, institutions that train gospel ministers. So this requirement is sort of an addendum to that first point. If we recognize that the fourth commandment calls us to prioritize worship, the gospel ministry, then it would seem to make sense that we should care about supporting that gospel ministry and we should care about the raising up and equipping of future gospel ministers. So this point is really an addendum, and application of that first point that we considered. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul says to Timothy, who is himself a gospel minister, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. This is the requirement for gospel ministers. They need to be approved that they can rightly handle the word of truth. Now, the Spirit doesn't just automatically gift every believer with the ability to rightly handle the word of truth. This takes training. And so, the church is called to support the raising up and equipping and training of, of gospel ministers. And one way we can do this practically is by encouraging uh, young people within our own churches who show an aptitude and desire for gospel ministry to encourage them in that. I mean, it's great when we can have people outside of Reformed churches become gospel ministers. I mean, that's my story. But ideally, we want our own catechumes to, uh, to go to seminary, to be equipped and trained and ordained as, as, as ministers. And so that's one way we can practically support the gospel ministry and, and, and the schools that seek to equip um, gospel ministers. Well, the third requirement in this fourth commandment is rest. So notice how question answer 103 refers to the Sabbath or the Lord's Day as a festive day of rest. It's a day of rest. Now, this is explicit in the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath unto the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. The emphasis in the Old Testament is on rest, cessation from activity, from work, from labor. It's really interesting that in the fourth commandment, this Sabbath rest extends to servants and even livestock. On it you shall, do, uh, you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock. Here you can see how, how natural it is for us to have a Sabbath. We are weak, finite creatures in need of rest. And God cares not just about our souls, but about our bodies, which is why in the Old Testament, the Sabbath extended to the servants, to the slaves, to the livestock themselves, because we need rest. We need physical refreshment. Now, sometimes when we think about this, this call to rest, it's, it's only thought of as an active rest, meaning we are to cease from ordinary work and recreation so that we can fill up our day with worship and fellowship and acts of mercy. Now, 
there is some truth to that. It's not, it's, we're not called to mere idleness here. But the fourth commandment does call us to literally rest. We have souls and bodies. And so we should, when we think about how we should spend Sundays, we should think about doing those things that are physically refreshing and restful for us. Now, this doesn't mean, um, doesn't only refer to taking a nap. There are many ways in which we can be physically active and be refreshed and, um, and, and feel rested. And so we should care about um, the rest that God desires to give us, not only in terms of our souls, but even our bodies. This is why the fourth commandment extended to servants and livestock. Now you'll notice that the second uh, half of question 103 extends to all of life. Notice how it says that, that um, all the days of our life we are to rest from our evil works and, and, and enter into God's eternal Sabbath rest. And so here, the catechism is getting at how if we are in Christ, we do have one step in the new creation, which is also sometimes referred to as God's Sabbath day rest. And so if we have one foot in that new creation, if we have been raised and seated with Christ in the heavenly places, then we should live according to that identity, which means that we should rest from our evil works. We should pursue sanctification. Uh, so this fourth uh, requirement is that we are to pursue sanctification every day of the week. We are to live as those who are the inheritors of the new creation, who have entered God's seventh day rest in part and look forward to fully entering that rest in the future. So we are to pursue sanctification. Now, last of all, the catechism also tells us what our attitude should be on the Sabbath day. Notice how it says, it refers to the Sabbath as the festive day of rest. Now, this catechism was originally written in, in, in German, and the original German word that's used here for festive is holiday. It's meant to be a, a holiday, a celebratory day, a festive day. And that's the attitude that we should bring to the Sabbath. It's a festive holiday that we're celebrating. And it makes sense that we would have this kind of attitude if we recognize what it is we're celebrating. We're celebrating our justification, Christ's res resurrection. We're, we're celebrating, as we thought of this, this morning, the Lord's forgiveness of our sins. This should be a celebratory day. We bring this attitude to our national and, earth, and our uh, ordinary holidays. Why wouldn't we bring this to our, our spiritual holiday? We are celebrating our justification. And so as we think about how we should spend our Sundays, we should think about doing things that make Sundays festive, celebratory, special. This is a holiday. Now, whenever someone begins to think uh, deeply about or, or, or give considerable attention to the fourth commandment, the question of what is forbidden almost always comes up. Okay, okay, I get what's required, but what can't I do? Right, that's the question that, that usually comes up when we realize we need to take the fourth commandment seriously. And I think there's a lot of wisdom here that the catechism doesn't, doesn't go there. All it talks about is what is required. Because when you strip away the ceremonial elements of the fourth commandment and all you're left with are, are the moral aspects, all we're really given are general principles. We're not told explicitly what we, what we can or can't do on, uh, on the Sabbath day. We're given these broad 
um, principles. So I think there's a lot of wisdom that the catechism just focuses on what is required of us. I'd like to spend a little bit of attention on, on this point. Uh, the first thing, first, first point to make is that as a church, as a minister, I can only bind consciences with what's written here in question answer 103. You as congregants, members are called to prioritize worship um, and rest. That's, that's all the church really can say. There's a lot of wisdom that comes into how we should spend Sundays, and a lot of Christian freedom in how we spend Sundays. However, we should be thoughtful about how we spend Sundays. Even though the Bible doesn't give us an agenda for every Sabbath day, we should be thoughtful because we realize the fourth commandment is binding upon us, so we should be thoughtful about how we spend our Sundays. So I, I have one suggestion to put before you in how you, can, um, how you can be thoughtful about how you spend your Sundays. Um, one helpful um, principle to uh, live by, uh, to, to utilize, is eva evaluate what you do on Sundays by whether or not they promote or hinder these purposes of the Lord's Day. So evaluate what you do on Sundays by whether or not they promote or hinder these purposes um, for the Lord's Day. That's one way in which you can um, be intentional about what you do, but still not fall into you know, a, a legalistic trap. And so you, know, you might think that uh, going on a day trip where uh, you're hiking might seem restful, but that hinders corporate worship. So there is a hierarchy with these principles. You know, corporate worship is central and, and then rest. But evaluating what you do based on whether they promote or hinder the purpose of the Lord's Day is a helpful rubric to keep in mind as you seek to be intentional and thoughtful uh, about what you do on Sunday. I love, again, that statement, that statement of pastoral advice that the Synod of Dort put out has a very helpful comment when it comes to recreation. It says that we are to rest from those recreations which impede upon the worship of God. So it's not definitively outlawing all recreation. Rather, it's saying those recreations which impede, which hinder the worship of God. I think that's a, a wise statement because when you begin to think about the nature of recreation, many, many recreational activities are, are physically restful and refreshing for us. Well, next week, uh, next time, we will continue to uh, unpack these um, Ten Commandments by turning our attention to the second table of the law, the fifth commandment, which speaks to how we should um, not only honor our father and mother, but by extension, honor the earthly authorities which God has placed over us. So